Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I'm co-founder of Financing Solutions. Over the last 25 years, I've built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range. And I can't tell you how important it is for businesses to have a line of credit so they can make an investment in their business or even for unexpected emergencies. I would tell every single one of my listeners out there that over those 20 plus years, 25 years, um, I was lucky enough to have lines of credit in place and that sometimes really saved my butt. Usually it was missing payroll related. I mean, it only happened a few times, but but uh, you know, lines of credit, that's what they're built for. And so 12 years ago, my business partner and I started a company that, because we were so sick of dealing with banks, and uh, we started a company that provides uh, small businesses lines of credit. And it's a great program. It really is good. It's really good. Uh, the line of credit uh, is really easy to get in place. It's inexpensive when used. It costs nothing to set up and nothing when you're not being used. So it's like the ultimate entrepreneur backup plan. It's, it's a smart thing to have in place. If you'd like to learn more about our line of credit program, please visit us at fscreditline.com. That's FS as in financing solutions, creditline.com, or give us a call at six, I'm sorry, 862-207-4118. And just remember the time to get a line of credit set up is before you need it because it takes a little bit of time. So you want to get it in place so you have it ready to go. Today, I am extremely excited to be speaking with Stephen Hoffman from Founderspace. Stephen is the CEO of Founderspace, one of the world's uh, leading startup accelerators with over 50 partners in 22 countries. Founderspace was ranked the number one incubator for overseas startups by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine. Uh, Steve is also a venture investor, founder of three venture-backed and two bootstrap startups, and author of several award-winning books uh, that include Make Elephants Fly, Surviving a Startup, and The Five Forces. Stephen, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. It's fantastic to be here. You know, I... uh, uh, you and I are going to be going like a million miles an hour on this podcast, right? It's because we both have a lot of experience going through this startup phase and stuff like that. And that's that's always fun for me. I do these podcasts because I really, really enjoy them, <laughs> honestly. Um, so, you know, today's podcast is about how to survive a startup. Um, and so, you know, before we even get into this, you know, there's probably going to be a lot of new listeners on this too, on this pod, listening to this podcast Let's just clarify what an incubator is. So I run a global startup incubator and accelerator, and people get confused. They don't know. Like, what's the difference between an incubator and an accelerator? Well, incubators focus on earlier stage startups, sometimes startup founders with just an idea, whereas accelerators focus on startups that are already going. They usually have a team in place. They have a product in development or already launched. They are cooking and an accelerator accelerates them. So what we do is both. So we educate and train very early stage startups. And then we also invest in and help accelerate later stage startups. So, you know, I was involved with an an incubator for a little bit of time, uh, not in depth, Um, and, and one of the, uh, the guys who was running it, he had said to me, you know, 
unless you're in New York City, I'm 50 minutes outside New York. Um, and this incubator was in New Jersey, not, not far from New York, though, about 20 minutes outside New York. But um, he said, unless you're in New York City or in uh, San Francisco, the drop off of the quality of the startup companies for venture for angel funding is weaker. Uh, did you have since you have a lot of different locations, has that been your experience, too? Yes and no. Well, first mm. of all, Silicon Valley is sort of a mecca. Like startups from all over the world come to Silicon Valley and San Francisco. Uh -huh. So we, you know, began in San Francisco. So it was very easy to attract high quality startups because we had, there are so many coming like every month, you know, hundreds and hundreds of new startups. And there's sort of a weeding out process. The ones who don't, you know, who are really committed, they might travel around the world from South Africa or Yugoslavia or wherever they are and make it, you know, there's a filtering process and make it to Silicon Valley to yeah. carry out their dream. Those people are determined. Now you go to other cities, the pool gets smaller. Whenever there's less selection, you're going to, the quality is going to go down. It's just a matter. It's just a numbers game. It's not like they're, the people are, you know, they're, they're not as capable. There's just less people. So there's less capable people. Yeah. However, there are big hubs around the world. It's not just New York and San Francisco. Seattle has a lot of amazing startups. Austin yeah. is a yeah. new hub with a lot of startups. And you go overseas, London, really booming, Berlin, you know, pretty, they, they have a great selection of startups. Then you also go to Asia, you know, Seoul and South Korea, Beijing and Shenzhen and China. These cities have huge numbers of startups. And, the, and because of the volume, mm. some of them are very, you know, you can find very, very good startups. Yeah. So, I, I mean, we, it's really interesting stuff. I, uh, uh, let's move to the topic because it's just such a broad, important topic. You know, honestly, I don't think you need to be a startup to listen to this podcast. Um, I think we're going to be covering a lot of basics about really important uh, accelerating your business, right? Because that's where we're talking. You're saying surviving a startup. But so let's go back and forth and let's, you know, you're the guest. So I'm going to try to not talk as much. <laughs> um, but uh, give me the number one thing that you think is important for how to survive being a startup. Well, I can tell. First of all, I can tell you based on my own personal experience. I've done three venture-funded startups in Silicon Valley that I founded, two bootstrap startups, so I know what it's like to put your own money in and go all yep. the way. And you know, right now at Founderspace, I literally mentor and accelerate hundreds of startups. And lastly, I wrote a book on this exact topic called Surviving a Startup. So I know, and let me tell you the most important thing. So most entrepreneurs at the beginning make a big mistake. They believe that they have to have this epiphany, this great, brilliant idea to start their company. They think, oh my God, I have to, I, if I don't have a great idea, I shouldn't even venture into being a startup founder. But honestly, the idea is not the most important thing at the beginning. Now this is, the idea matters, but let me tell you, people put too much emphasis on it. And, they, and because they do, they make a number of critical mistakes. The first thing they do is they get so excited about whatever idea they do, they have, that they just dive into it. They want to start building it. They want to start executing. You know, people are excited. They fall in love with their idea. They want to push it out there. They want to make it real. The problem is the idea you start with, 
usually is not the right idea. Either it's totally on the wrong track or it's it's off enough that if you continue down the path, you won't succeed. You need to iterate on the idea. Now, I want to give you some examples. So we all know YouTube, right? Huge success. Well, YouTube, when they began, do you know what their idea was? No. They, their idea was a video dating site. That's oh. what YouTube was. They were, they thought people would date by video. And we know today, like that's a flaw. It sounds great, like when video is brand new, but it doesn't, people don't like to do it. They're uncomfortable doing it. So they were totally failing. And then uh, they wanted to share a file, a video they made with their friends. And they're like, oh, we built this video dating site. We could upload it there and just share the link. That epiphany that came much later was the thing that set YouTube off. You know, sharing videos through a link, that simple thing, not video dating. YouTube, I mean, Google, right? Google, we all think Google was an instant success. Well, actually, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, when they started out, they truly believed they were doing a nonprofit. Now, that's ironic since Google is one of the most profitable companies in the history of humankind. But you know why they believed it? Because they were creating a search engine for academics to find research papers online. Yeah. Now, that's a really niche thing. They weren't, you know, they weren't the Google we know today. And if they had continued on that path, they would have been enough. They wouldn't be the Google they are today. That's for sure. But, you know, as you go, you learn. So what I like to tell entrepreneurs is the idea you have is a starting point. It's just where you start. Don't lock into it. Don't start executing on it. What you want to do is start to figure out fundamental questions. If you want to survive, you need to answer these questions as early as possible. What, who are the customers? What do they really need? Like, do they really need what my idea is or do they actually want something different? Like, you know, is there something like YouTube? Like they wanted, they didn't want video dating. The sooner they could learn that, the faster they could move on and figure something else out. So this is where most startups begin. And I'll tell you the different the the thing that makes the most difference, not the starting point, because that starting point is just a starting point, like I said, and it's probably wrong. What makes the most difference and where startup founders should be putting 80% of their time at the beginning, not into building their product, not into raising money, not into anything else, what they should be putting it into is finding the right team members. Who are the people that are the best people in the world that they could work with to actually execute? on an idea. Maybe it's this idea. Maybe it's, you know, when, you know, you can go to your team and I like to tell startup founders this in order to attract a great team, which is really tough when you have no money and stuff. If you come to them with your idea and say, Hey, work on my idea for free. <laughs> I'll give you some worthless shares and you're going to make me rich. You know, most people will say no. Like I'd rather keep my job at Google or Facebook. Why should I work for you for nothing? I'm earning good money. What you do to what you do with them is say you find people who are amazing people, not just your cousin Joey who happens to be available. You you go out and you you put the eighty percent of your time into identifying amazing people, and then you find people who have a common passion to yours. Like you say, I want to transform a certain industry. I think we can use new technology to totally reshape this industry. I don't, I have some ideas and then they can't judge you on your idea either. They can't say, ah, that idea isn't good enough. You say, look, I want to figure out this idea together. Now I have some ideas. I'm sure you have some ideas. If we can get together as a team and pull other great people in there, we could totally revolutionize this industry. 
that is the way you should start. Yeah, I, um, I'm going to add two things uh, to what you're saying. All great, really great stuff, really. Um, the first thing is um, you, you've had two companies that you bootstraps. All my companies have been bootstrapped. So I never, um, we ne- I never had angel funding. I never had uh, any investors. Um, and, you know, I, you know, my business partner and I both, I, now my business partner has been with me for two of those, those, I actually have seven companies. I just made a mistake once and I, so I just say six, <laughs> but I, I was like, I was thinking about the other day. I'm like, you know what? I was counting, I'm counting up on my fingers and I'm like, no, I have had seven, but I've been saying six forever. So whatever. Um, <clears throat> but the, um, the, but so many young kids are thinking they have to go the angel funding route. You know, and to start a business, and you know, you, 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 there's a lot of good businesses out there. I'm in one of them. I'm in. I'm in a couple of them. Which you know, listen, I've built up to this level, but you know, you know, that have really good cash flow that you could really find a way through maybe factors or something like that to finance it. So, but what I usually tell people when they ask my advice, I say. You got to have a runway of three to five years where you're going to expect to make no money. And that is a hard pill for people to swallow. It really is. They, they, they're, know. they're like, you know, I know entrepreneurs and they're like, yeah, I can go three months before I have to get a job. Three <laughs> months? Like, no way. Three months? No and way. Some, some brag, well, I can go six months yeah. <laughs> before I have to get a job. And that's, and that's fair. Now, now, what are the options? The options are you continue at your existing job. And you work in the company on your off hours. That's, that's the a, way you. That's a ahead. perfectly viable way to get started. Like I said, the yeah. first idea you think is so great, you'll probably right. poke a lot of holes in it, yes. things like that. So k- keeping a job is really important, unless you have the money. Yes. And like I tell entrepreneurs, before you quit your job, I don't say three to five years because just hardly anybody has that. I say you at least have to have a year's worth. Okay. And usually within a year, if if they have a good team, they can get angel funding and that extends their runway and then they can get a little more, but yeah. it's tough. Like it's stressful. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, like, and everybody should know, I'm not uh, telling you something I didn't do. I, I, I worked for Xerox for eight and a half years in my first company. Um, I worked from I worked for Xerox for, from 6 a.m. in the morning till one o'clock in the afternoon and then I worked my company from 1.30 until 9 at night. Now, they didn't know I did that, right? And then when the cash flow was good enough, I, you know, also I was, I was married and I had just gotten married and my wife was an accountant. I also had money saved up. So, you know, but I wasn't losing money. I made very good money back then too. So, so it was, so once after a year, my, my startup started doing well. I quit Xerox and then did it full time. Now, also, I wanted to mention that the that the term that you're talking about, where a company moves in another direction, the term is, um, is called pivoting, right? Where yes. You, and I and I That's think if you, you start off and you realize yes. what you're doing isn't working, yes. I need to switch. Yes, or you've learned something that says, "Oh, I didn't even know that was there," uh, and you start moving in that direction. And, uh, and, and pivoting is a huge part of, of businesses. I, I also really like what you said. I, uh, one of these days, I'll tell you, um, Steve, I, I'm going to, uh, the plan is down the road because the businesses I have can really run until 
I uh, am in my late 80s. They're, they're really Great. good businesses. Yeah, they're really good businesses. I really like them a lot. I love what I do for a living. Uh, one's a very sellable business and the other one uh, is not. It's, it doesn't make it a bad business. It's just it's something that, uh, you know, it'd be hard for somebody else to come in to, to do what, it, what we do. And that's it, a lot of people. They have businesses. It is, and it's fine. I mean, we, yeah. in the venture community in Silicon Valley, we call them lifestyle businesses. Yes. They're really, they can provide you with a great lifestyle, but nobody's going to buy them. Yes. Yeah. One of them I, I, is not that way and it's a great business and it's going to sell. Um, but, um, but the reason, why well, was the reason I brought it up? Um, the, the, the idea that you were saying about picking an industry and really focusing in on that. Um, and usually it's either a business you know, or it's something that you saw that you think this can be done better, or they're not solving a problem. The, that, you know, that is a great point you're making. So one way to reduce the iteration cycle that you're having is to solve a problem that you have yes. or people you know intimately because you're working with them have that problem. And it's a high value problem. It's a problem that they would pay to get solved because they're wasting a lot of time. It's very frustrating or you can make them a lot more money. You can do things much more efficiently. S something that you're going to add a huge amount of value. Those problems, if you look at a lot of founders, those are the companies that just take off. Like on the first iteration yep. like they they're like i know i am the <clears> customer <throat> if you are if you are going out there to solve a problem that other people have that you don't have and you're not really intimately familiar with that's when you have to be prepared to go through many cycles yeah and i'll give you a real life example i'll, I'll try not to take up too much of, of everybody's time but it, it really drives this point home so i had this really good company that placed travel nurses um, travel nurses are nurses who work at hospitals throughout the united states on long-term temporary assignments um, and, uh, it, it was, a, it was on the Inc 500 fast growing companies. Um, we, we were on a run rate of 11 million after four years. Um, uh, do, it's doing really well. And while I was doing that, one of the things about nurses is you have, you, they have all these credentials, um, and their, um, immunizations, background checks, licenses, certifications, all these other things. It's about 21 of those per nurse. And so we were trying to find an easy way, easier way to keep that updated. This is a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I was like, oh, if we have this problem, I well, I was like, how are other people solving it? And what we found out was that no one was solving it. Yeah, that's exactly that's I mean, a it, great starting point. For yeah. Them. And we started uh, we started that business. Um, I. Um, and I, uh, to make a long story, I st actually 16 years later still have that business. However, I, I, I don't want you to think that it really turned out this incredible story. I would, you would be shocked to know that the problem is, is that hospitals and other care providers don't exactly care if someone's immunizations or stuff like that of a nurse is outdated. That see, these are the things you learn when you go along, right? Yeah. Like, so you can have an idea that's a real problem, right? That's that, that needs to be solved. But then you start to figure out that your ultimate customer doesn't care. Like, yeah. They don't, they, you know, you, it's a real problem for you or for, for some other people who aren't going to pay a lot of money, but the ones who are going to pay all the money, yeah. they have to care. 
So that's yeah, I why think, I, sorry, I, I always tell entrepreneurs, don't fall in love with your idea. Like it can be like the, you know, you can think it's the best thing in the world. It doesn't matter how much you love your idea. It doesn't matter. Everybody says passion will win. It doesn't matter how passionate you are about your idea. Who has to be passionate? Who has to fall in love is the customer. And that, that is what you have to identify as early as possible. Yeah, you know, and it never dawned on to me just the second, I, I, I swear, that, so what happened was I had hired a, a salesperson. I said, go out and find this market for me, all right? And we kept making pitches and stuff like that. And it was really kind of hard to make a sale. And, um, and because they didn't think of it as that much of a problem, but I was about five years ahead of my time. And I think now I think about it, if I had gone to raise angel funding, right? And the problem was, was the, the market wasn't really educated about it, the problem. I think if I had had a lot of money, I might have been able to create the market through education and I wouldn't say scare tactics, but do you realize how serious this is, you know, that you could have a so nurse give someone, you know. I, I'm going to jump in here because I've Please. seen this a lot. I always tell startup founders that if you have to educate the market, it's you no are good. Doomed. Yeah. Doomed. Because yeah. honestly, you know, you can see that it's a problem. These hospitals know it's a problem. Like they know that people not having their vaccinations is a problem. You're right. If, if they aren't, you you're telling them what they already know by educating them and they're still not going to do anything, right? Yeah. Because if they... Oh, I've, I had my own company where I had to educate the market and I will tell you, it didn't work. Like yeah. literally it never works. You know, what you need is when you go to a customer, uh, you don't have to educate. This is a market that works. If you think that more money is going to solve your problem, it almost never does, right? More money makes a good thing go faster, Yeah, but more yeah. money makes a thing that isn't working just doesn't go anywhere. Like you can mask the problem for a while. Like you can get some sales because you're, you know, pumping so much yeah. money in there, but it doesn't change the fundamentals. So when you go to a customer, they can't say, oh, that would be nice to have. Because if, you know, the, I'm sure the hospital's like, oh, that would be nice to have it. But then they never get back to you because it's not their priority. You know, no. they're, they're like, yeah. you know, but what you need them to say is, oh my God, I, I, I need that. Like, I, yeah. can I get that tomorrow? Can I have that? How can I get that? We, 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 you know, what can I do? If they don't give you that reaction, I tell, go out to 100 customers. If all the customers tell you it's nice to have, you're, you're sunk. <laughs> yeah. I think I did, customers- and I did, you're right. I did that instinctually, you know, um, you know, after a while, listen, the health, the other business, the travel nurse business was doing so well that, you know, I just, I, I saw that it wasn't that the, the other business called credential agent was not really doing just great. And we, yeah. yeah. And we did some pivoting. We did. Um, but even, you know, it just wasn't a high, high, high priority for me. Um, I already had a really good business. Yeah. I had, I had, I actually had had two businesses doing, at the time. Doing a startup is a process of experimentation. Yeah. Exactly what you went through. Like you come up with a that's why I tell them, don't get fixated on an idea. Come up with a lot of ideas, try them out quickly, figure out, is there this, what I tell them is you're like an oil wildcatter as an entrepreneur. You're going out there. You don't know if there's oil under there. You're sticking, you know, you're drilling a hole and you, and you can't make that oil come up on its own. Like either it's going to gush up and the gusher is a demand, right? There's pent up demand that nobody has tapped. So you're going out there, sticking, drilling holes in the ground, searching for pent up demand. 
And it doesn't matter how deep you drill or whatever. If there isn't that pent up demand down there, it's not going to happen. So I tell yeah, that's people- That's the thing that's fantastic about business. It's measurable. It right? is. Yeah. It is. It's very, if, it's, if your idea is a good one, people are going to pay you for it. But if it's they're not a good one, they're not. And if you feel like Sisyphus rolling the boulder up the hill, yeah, every day, exactly. only to have it come that, you know, you can, it doesn't matter how hard you work rolling that boulder up the hill, it's going to come down again. I, like, you, I tell people, if you're on the wrong direction, you can work day and night. You can be like so dedicated. It won't matter. Like you, that's why you need to try a lot of different things. Like try something. It doesn't work. Try something. It doesn't yeah. work. Try something. Oh my God, this is just taking off. And, and, and that analogy of, uh, it's called the burden of Sisyphus. I use it all the time because, you know, it, let me tell you, if you've been in business long enough, when you, when that rock re- reaches the top of the pinnacle, guess what? There's another side going back down and you got to ride it back up, you know, down and then back up. And, and I, you know, I tell people, um, you think you have a good business? Yeah. Wait till you go through a recession. <laughs> then you'll see how good your business is. All right. Cause that, every 10 years we go through the United States and, and we've been in recession. a boom time right now. So oh, <laughs> get prepared yeah. folks. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, you, th- you know, but listen, I, I would be honest with you. I mean, I, um, you do, you do get really better at it. You get better. You really, you know, uh, 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 it, learning how to run a business. It, you really having experience really, really helps. I, I oh, think yeah. I, I, you know? people ask me, are entrepreneurs born or made? Well, I say certain traits that people they're born with, right? So they get an edge up. Like, you know, if you're good at sports, you're an athlete, you, you know, you get an edge up, but there's no replacement for training. Even great athletes train like crazy, right? Yeah. You don't get to the, be the best of the best without training and everybody benefits from it. Yeah. And I, every entrepreneur I know are vor, uh, voracious learners. Yeah, you have they to are be. huge learners, right? You have to be. I, I, I would, and also, I was at this conference w- once where this guy, um, his name is Vern Harnish. I don't know if you know, he's very, fa- he's uh, very famous in the small business community. He started the Entrepreneur Organization, which is fifteen thousand members in the, in the world. Anyway, he he said he was giving a lecture about um, this process that he was teaching us, um, and he said, "I do this. I'll give the same lecture and." And, and this process to people who are managers at organizations and they take it and they implement it exactly the way I told them to do it. And then I give them to entrepreneurs and they take it and they'll, they'll implement this and they'll add this and they'll tweak this and they'll put their own spin on it. And they just will, you know, really use their own skill set to make it work for them. And I think that's very common. Do you? I do. So I have traits that make a great entrepreneur. First one, first trait is you got to be a great leader, right? So you got to get great people. Look, because honestly, you aren't going to do all the work yourself. Like your job is to lead them if you're going to be the the CEO of the company. So you, you have to be a great leader. You have to be able to attract great people, attract money, attract customers. That's what you have to do. Number one. Number two, never give up. Like, you know, it doesn't mean you, uh, you can quit things all the time. Like you can change direction. You say, this thing isn't working, quit, but you don't quit your business. You don't quit being an entrepreneur. And then number three is the one you just identified. And that is, you have to be a creative thinker. You have to be challenged. You have to always be asking why, how could we do this better? 
How could I do this differently? What can, you know, what can I tweak? What can I change? Those people end up breaking through. Yeah. I think the third point too goes back to the first and second point. And, and that is, I think entrepreneurs, uh, let's say you're an entrepreneur where you're not a great leader. Yes. And you're not, right? So it doesn't mean, oh, uh, you're listening to the podcast like, oh, well, I'm not a great leader, so I can't become an entrepreneur. Figure a way around that. So maybe partner with somebody who is a great leader. Or in my case, um, I, 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 I was a, listen, uh, I was a terrible manager when I first started. Just terrible. You can become better. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's exactly what I did. I took, I took, uh, I took, um, so there's three things I did. Everybody should know. Um, I, one, uh, took classes to become a better manager. It was Dale Carnegie classes at the time. Great. Okay. Number two, I hired a coach. Okay. And that was her role really to make me a better manager. And, and three is I read a lot of books about it. And I yeah. became, I became a good manager. I really did. I became a, not a great one, but I became a good one. Which is enough. Right. So you could launch successful businesses and yeah, you're not going to be great at everything. So there are certain people who are, and they, you know, they can reap the rewards of that, but most of us aren't like we have our flaws. So we have to work around our flaws, something, you know, work harder than other people would who are naturally gifted, like who are born with this intuitive sense on how to manage and motivate people. Yep. So what else would you say on how to survive a startup? So in my book, I go into a lot of different facets. So I go into fundraising. I also go into what makes a great business. So let me talk about that first. Please. So fundamentally, there are different types of businesses. There are great lifestyle businesses, which usually end up being small businesses run by individuals or couples or partners, you know, and they, they, uh, they, they, they provide wealth for those people. And that's a perfectly legitimate goal to have. There are businesses that can grow to become medium-sized businesses and then plateau out. And those are good, like family businesses, like, you know, they, they're run by families and things like that. And you can often sell them, but not for huge multiples. And then there are the businesses that we love in Silicon Valley that are these exponential businesses, the, the unicorns we all hear about, you know, these, these startups, you know, just becoming billion dollar valuations. How, how do you identify a business like that if that's what you're interested in? And let me tell you the characteristics that we look for. I'm an investor in Silicon Valley. I work with hundreds of investors. Number one thing we like to see is a business that doesn't sell a product to a customer once, and then that customer Mm -hmm. walks away and never comes back. Honestly, if you have a product, it can be the best little gizmo or gadget or whatever in the world or service. You sell it to a customer once, they use it, and they never need you again. Well, it's, that's a really hard business to grow exponentially. And the reason is because the biggest costs you have in running a business are your employees, number one, and marketing, number two, acquiring customers. So if that customer buys your product and then disappears, then you just have to start over again, marketing, acquiring more customers. It it really eats into your profit margins. Huge. Plus you're competing a, a lot of times against a lot of other players who are doing the same thing. And, and, and then the margins get squeezed really hard to grow a big business. The great businesses out there, when they acquire a customer, they never let go. Meaning that customer keeps generating revenue for them over and over and over. And look at these businesses. You can look at all the big businesses out there and they have this character. Almost all of them have this characteristic. So uh, Facebook, pull a user into Facebook. 
They get locked into using Facebook. Every time they're on, they're they're generating revenue for Facebook, ad advertising revenue. You look at Amazon. Once you start buying on Amazon, you know, Amazon never wants to let you go. They pile on all these services and everything they can to keep you there and keep ahead of the competition. And you're always buying, pro making them little bits of more money. Same with Google, same with all these companies. So things you want are number one, recurring revenue. The customer is always paying you. Number two, you want to lock that customer in to your product or service so that they so that other people, even if they come up with a better idea, a better product or service, that customer finds it really hard to leave. So a lot of companies do this, and I'll give a great example of a B2B one, salesforce.com. So Salesforce has become an enormous company. And how did they do it? Well, they didn't just do it by launching a product. They launched a CRM product that was pretty good. People, but it was early and people came in, they, they were ahead of everybody else. They started to acquire customers. What they did was they turned their product into a platform. And this is the other thing we're looking for. A platform goes beyond a product because it's an ecosystem. And what a platform does, is it means the more time you spend in the product, the more value you create for yourself and the more value you create for everybody else. So what Salesforce did was they brought in third-party developers and customers and the third-party developers start creating value. And they customers use their products, you know, these plugins, all these plugins to Salesforce, and then start in, and then the customer can't, they find them indispensable. They can't have them. So a new competitor can come along, which they have, with CRM software that's cheaper than Salesforce, that's more streamlined than Salesforce, that's more user-friendly than Salesforce. But people are using, all, they don't have the whole ecosystem. They don't have all the, that Salesforce, all these developers, all this innovation going on, all these people adding value. So the customers don't leave. Oracle's done the same thing. Amazon does it with a two-sided marketplace. You know, the more customers there and the reviews, think about it, the customers are writing reviews. Every time they write a review, they create more value for themselves and everybody else in the ecosystem. The more customers there are, the more sellers there are, the more sellers there are, the more you want to go buy there because the better the marketplace. All of these create these ecosystems. So I tell entrepreneurs, think of creating a platform, an ecosystem, not an individual product. Yeah, I. Uh, what which book did you write? It was a surviving a startup that really I, covered. I wrote yeah, I wrote a several books. So yeah, I know Collins, which which is the one that you're talking about where oh, oh, it has this, a lot is, this is surviving a startup. Surviving a startup is yeah. Those are I love the rules. I mean, you can kind of really read that book, and I I think that like one of the books I want to uh, write when I um, down the road is um is um where do I business I where do business startup ideas come from. You know, yeah. so that you can kind of like, I love what you like. I didn't, I knew about Google. I knew about the research end of it. Um, I didn't know what was the one you used before that. Um, I didn't know about the company that you mentioned before that. But a lot of times when you hear these ideas and you can put some, I, I wouldn't say rules. I can't think of the right terminology, not methodologies, but sometimes it really helps you come up with an idea, you know, it, Instead of just saying, okay, well, I'm going to go out and think of a business idea right now, right? Yeah. Sometimes if you look at a business like Google and you hear that, how they started, it kind of gets the brain working a little bit, you know? It does. The interesting thing about Google too, there's more to the story. 
The founders of Google, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, actually tried to sell their company when it when it was first going, and it was going pretty well. They kind of figured it out, and that you know they're grad students in college. So there's this big company called Excite at Home yeah. that was this big internet portal that nobody knows about today because it's gone. Yeah. And Larry Page and Sergey Brin, the founders of Google, went up to them and said, "Please, please buy Google for seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. We'll sell it to you." <laughs> They said no. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it happens a lot. Yeah. It happens all the time. They were yeah. lucky. They, yeah. we, they, you know, that would have been owned by somebody you know, else I, and they might have messed it up. I say that too. Like, um, I say to people, like someone who started their, their business, right? And they, maybe, maybe it was successful. They sold it or, you know, I say, okay, go do it again. Yes. Yeah. Because you, <laughs> you'll see how good of a business person you really, maybe you just happened to hit, the timing completely right, right? Yeah, there, there's um, no substitute for luck. Yeah. So and there, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's good to be lucky. It's good. I mean, honestly, but what you know, the really great entrepreneurs, like you said, they can fail a number of times, but they'll keep trying, and eventually they'll hit it. Yeah, and so even never, if they're unlucky, right? And I've never failed. I've always like my definition of successful business is it's that it's uh, it's made money. It's allowed me to stay self employed. Uh, now, a lot of those businesses I've had have really built my net worth. Um, and, and I've, you know, I've been able to do for a living, which what I've always dreamed about, which was to run my own business. Right. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, so I listen, do I think I'm super successful? I, you know, I haven't, I haven't built a, um, a company that was, I haven't built a company yet that was really sold for a lot of money. Right. I haven't built a company that has gone public. <laughs> well, that's obvious. Right. <laughs> yeah. I would have sold for a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but that was never my intent. You know, when, you and, know, and that's what you're saying is true of most entrepreneurs. Most entrepreneurs would be very happy if they can retain their independence, if they can have a good lifestyle, if they can have a good cash flow, you know, feed their family, put money in the bank. That's what most people want. Yeah. And so you don't have to build these billion dollar businesses, but it's nice to know the rules. Like, because even if you're not building a billion dollar business, these rules still apply. Like recurring revenue still works much better than one-offs. Like, yes. you know, if you can create an ecosystem around your business where you lock in your customers so they can't go to competitors because you're providing much more value than your competitors can and they've invested their time and energy into your business and taking it elsewhere is hard, really good, even if you're a small business. Like you, these rules work, at they scale at for any size business. Yeah, and I, I, what my advice to people too is, is at least at the first one, don't pigeonhole yourself. Let the idea dictate what you're going to be needing. If the idea is going to be, you know, angel funding, that, okay. If the idea is going to be self-funding through reinvesting the, the, the profits back into the company, okay, that's another model. So, you know. And, and, and I honestly tell most entrepreneurs, go, you know, when you do an idea, pick an idea you can fund yourself to get it yeah. off the ground. Because yeah. even if you think uh, venture capitalists, even if you think they're going to love it, it takes time. Like venture capitalists are pitched so many ideas that what they ended up doing is saying, ah, oh, that's interesting. Come back when you have traction. Now the word traction in Silicon Valley means come back when you have user growth and revenue growth. 
Like we want to see that this idea, because why they, their idea is to maximize return and, and minimize risk. So they are much happier to pay a higher valuation, meaning more money for a company that they, that's proven that they, they are growing than a company that is still in the idea stage. Yeah. So, so I, yeah, yeah I, so I'll finish your thought. I'm sorry, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really hard to raise money. So if you going out there and because it seems easy because you're reading about all these funding, what you're not seeing is the thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs who aren't getting funded. You're only reading about the ones who are getting funded. Yeah. It's really funny. So, so my business partner and I, we've known each other for over 20 years, right? Now he had a very, very successful business that he sold for a huge multiple, right? And then I've had, up to then I had had four successful businesses, right? And, but uh, we, we belong to the same entrepreneur organization group that's been together for 25 years. And, um, and then we were both in between kind of companies where we started going, looking at the angel funding route. And so he and I kind of kept working at um, companies together, getting pitches for about two and a half years, kept getting pitches. And we didn't like anything we saw. We just didn't like it. Right. And in the angel funding route, when you're doing that type of thing from a, f- a funding standpoint, you need to be in 10 deals and hopefully one makes it big time. Right. So we didn't like we didn't like the math, you know, and we saw people losing uh, really losing their shirt and stuff like that. So anyway, so. We, we decided, um, not to belabor this point, we decided, we found out about this one industry that we decided to go into. And, um, and, and ever since then, whenever, like Steve, the way that you and I are kind of talking back and forth is the way that my business partner, Keith, and I talk. Like when you get us in a room, it's like watching a tennis match that, that are, you know, people's, like if you have other their their heads are spinning going back and forth, watching us come up with ideas, stuff like It's so much fun. But yes. one of the things that I bring to the table for my business partner is we'll come up with a, a good idea and he wants to keep analyzing it. <laughs> and I'm like, no, Let's we're going to go, we're <laughs> going to do it and we're going to see if it's got traction. Yeah. And because, you know, again, you want to see it. Everything's fun when it's on paper, but when you have to actually make money off of it, well, then you start finding problems. And this is a good criteria. If those ideas aren't expensive to launch and try out, yes. great. You can try a lot of them. Like you don't put all your you know life savings into one and find out it doesn't work. Yes. And you're like screwed. No, yeah. you get you and in getting the talent on board, this is why finding the right people is so important also. Because if they're an equity investor, you don't have to pluck out all the cash. You're all investing your time. It's sweat equity. And you can try you can quickly try a lot of different things. Yeah, I mean, I think I feel like we're making it seem so easy. And it's, it's never it's it brutal. is the, it is brutal. It's the hardest thing. That, that's why know, I call it surviving a startup because like, oh, that's right. You, at a certain point, you, you know, it feels like a game of survival. You know, it's crazy. And, and, and you and I can, you and I can laugh and like and, yeah. and chuckle about it and have good attitudes, you know, because we've kind of been there, done that. Yeah. But when you're in the midst of it, it's not. It's and it goes on for you know months and months and months and months. it wears the crap out of you. You know, and oh. like you, you know, right? Yeah, like the you, mental strain is, is worse. I mean, physically, you can work all day and night. I mean, you're just sitting at a computer most of the time or walking yeah. around trying to sell somebody. It's like physically not demanding. It's that mental strain that you have it to is. manage, and and the and the, how it affect how people let it affect 
their lives outside of their work. You know, it's, you know, I, so the, 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 the one thing that I would add to, uh, and I know we, you and I could talk for two, three hours about surviving mm-hmm. a start. And well, I don't mean surviving stuff, but you know, building rules for startups. Um, I, the, the thing that I always advise people is this, this is a, this is a marathon. It's not a race. Um, That's it's not a sprint. Yeah. You got to take incredibly good care of yourself. You have to like, I paid, played major sports. I was, when I played sports and I was, a, a, I played baseball in college at a really high level. And I think of when I go to work, I think of that as game time. And when yes, you're and in, you're at, the, you're at your peak performance. I'm in this my is, peak performance. This is another thing I tell entrepreneurs, very similar to what you, you're saying. And it's not how much time you invest. It's the quality of the time. Yes. They have found that the most, some of the most successful CEOs in the world, uh, they don't work extreme hours. They actually, they uh, limit their hours, but the time they put in, they're really focused. They're really on the ball. You know, with, if you, everybody's different. Like some people can be at peak performance, like Elon Musk, let's say that crazy guy, right? He can be on peak performance 24 hours a day. You know, yeah. he's, he, but he's, he's the exception. The rule is most of us, like there are probably four good hours in the day where we're really yes. thinking, we're really creative, we're really analyzing. What you want to do is you want to be able to do that. And then you want to maintain the balance so that you can do that. Honestly, when you get stressed out, when you're not exercising, when you're not eating right, when you're having uh, problems with your family because you're never there <laughs> to pay attention to them, those things cloud your mind and they make that stress makes you make the wrong decisions. Because a lot of times the right decisions are hard decisions that also involve adding on additional stress. Should we expand our business at this time? Should we take out this loan to do this? Well, if I'm already stressed out, the idea of taking on a loan to expand my business is something that I might say no to because I can't handle any more stress. Like I just can't handle that. Right. So, so I won't do that at a critical time and I'll miss the chance. I agree. So I think that you listen, your number one priority is, um, take care of yourself. Second thing is take care of your family, you know, and third is your work. Right. And, and then there could be other ones too, but if you wake up every day saying, Okay, not what do I have to do today at work? If you wake up every single day and say to yourself, and I believe me, I follow this rule all the time. Mm-hmm. I always have. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do today so that I'm going to be at my best at work and and also with my family too? So I think if you do that, you'll be able to su- survive longer in a startup because you took good care of yourself. And 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 I'll tell you from so much experience that I've seen is you know what? You might think your company is your baby, but when try making it with your company where you've done well, and then you get divorced and you're, uh, you, and you, and you, you, your kids hate you. Then, yeah, and, then and, tell and, me and, how successful. Yeah. How successful are you? And so, you lose those forever. Like you could always do. make money right yeah. in the future, That's but you right. can't put those things back together once they're you gone. Can't. Like you can't <laughs> replace the time you didn't spend with your kids. You nope. can't replace, you know, repairing relationships extremely hard. Like yeah. you know, after a certain point, people move on, but you can always make more money. So money, you know, you have to put things in perspective. Really 
this is one of the biggest challenges entrepreneurs have. A lot of them are good at all the other stuff. They can figure it out. They can work hard. They can train themselves. They can make their be- themselves better, but they fail on this account. Yeah. I don't think it needs to be there in either or. At no, all. it doesn't. And in it fact, doesn't. I think it's just the opposite. I think that what we're saying you, here is balance makes you a better entrepreneur. It does. Because think about this one. I want people to think about this one thing. It's not how many decisions you make in a day. It's whether you make the right decisions. <laughs> so like, yeah. you can be working all day long making decisions for your business, but they might not be the right ones because you're stressed out. You're not having good relate. All these different things. Get yourself together. If you're not together, your business can't be together. Yeah, and and to to let everybody know that I wasn't Superman. Uh, I mean, I remember when I far, started my first company. Um, when I after no, it was my second company because I um, the I was working seventy hours a week, oh. um, and and now I I maybe work thirty thirty hours a week. It's yeah, hard it's to tell. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, and I don't mean like this has been twenty five years, but you know, it went from three after three years of that that company you know you just learn you learn what to focus in on that's important right yes. you learn to delegate you know, you learn how to hire the right people but i would tell you uh, steve it took me 10 years before of entrepreneurship before i think i really became a good business owner yes uh, it takes most people that honestly yeah. myself too you know the other thing you want to do and really important when we're talking about psychology is not to put yourself under undue pressure. You have to listen to what you're saying to yourself. Because like a lot of times, you will be pressuring yourself to reach goals, which uh, in, 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 in a way that's just amplifying your stress levels and not actually making you achieve those goals any faster. You're like, you're just like, I, I'm not there yet. I'm not, you know, you're beating yourself up or you're saying, you're saying negative things to yourself. Like since I missed that goal, I'm, I'm never going to succeed. You know, you have to catch yourself when you're saying these things because they are totally destructive. Yeah. I think one of the things that helped me a lot too, is that I had a mentor for 20 years that was, yes, that you that, can talk these, a lot of people y- don't. Yes. Yeah, he was great. I met with him every quarter, every three months, over lunch. He was the smartest guy I ever met, mm. right? And the, let me tell you what he did. What? He would be like, like I would be like, oh, I'm not doing good enough. And, and he'd be like, are you crazy? He goes, <laughs> you've just done this and this and this. And he would, he would, I would come out of those meetings, feel so much better about myself. You know, yeah, it, I, it, it's, it's so important. Now, I know I've been with entrepreneurs and they launch an, an amazing product in three months and they're beating themselves up. Like we're going too slow. My team isn't working fast enough. I'd like, you just launched your product in three months. Like that would have taken most people six or yeah. nine months. Like you should be happy, but they're not. <laughs> they're stressed out. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna uh, say one other thing. I, I did. I do something that I did something that was very unusual. I I don't know anybody else who does this. At least from my uh, chain of people that I that I know, entrepreneurs. I never. Uh, I'm so. I learned in the last seventeen years. Um, I don't talk about my business and work with my wife. Ah. Yeah, That's, because yes, this can and, be very important. <laughs> yeah, I and I'll tell you where what happened. So after the, I think after my wife came to my, my wife's an accountant and uh, a corporate accountant, 
And she wasn't happy at her job. And so after like five to seven years, I forget how long it was, of my businesses, I was doing really well. I needed an accountant. And I was really worried about her uh, coming to join me because I was like, I I have a great marriage. I don't want to ruin the marriage. But I, I, you know, she really wanted to come on board. Yeah. And, and she, on to be fair, she knew who the, who the boss was at work. She knew it was me. Right. Yeah. And so I said, all right, we'll give it a try. And it really did work out great. Right. So she stayed with me for eight years. Mm-hmm. But what happened was, you know, she would, I'd be, we'd be in bed about to go to sleep and she would start talking to me about who owes us money. Oh, so stressful. And I was like, <laughs> tell me this at work. Right. Yeah. I don't want to hear so about it. I, I have another rule and it's exactly what you talk about. I say, don't talk about business after 9 PM. Oh. Like literally like, because you're tired, you're cranky. And you, that's the time when you need to unwind. Like, so you can actually sleep. The last thing you want to do, like you said, yeah. is thinking about who owes you money yeah. and getting so annoyed and worked up about that right as you're trying to. Yeah. And we off. never, it never was a bad situation. What ended up happening yeah. is we, we started doing so well that I, um, she was able to go and start taking care of the kids more, and I was able uh, yeah. to back and then became, position. And I know it a lot fine. of I, I know a lot of couples where the 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 wife is the accountant. Surprisingly, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and it, it it tends to work really well. But actually, having rules around the house is really important. Um, you know, you think we don't need rules; we can do anything. But if you know yourself and you know your partner. Uh, and what sets you off? You need to talk about it. You need to verbalize it like you did and say, look, this is like totally stressing me out. Let's put, talk about work during work hours is a really good rule. Yeah, I think um, the, the one and, I and, had. And, another, and, and, Sorry. and another, another one I'll just say is, you know, on the weekend, you know, maybe you work one day on the weekend because you're an entrepreneur and crazy, but you don't work two days. Like we're taking yeah. one day off, we're spending it and we're having time with each other and our family. Yeah, I think I think that I have a different take too on the advantage of not talking about. Now, granted, I had a mentor. I had nine guys in my EO group to talk about. Right. I also had a business coach, so I had people to be my sounding board to help me. What I found was because I didn't talk about work at home, our marriage was much better because not. Not because of the stress, but because um, I know a lot of people who have nothing to talk about other than the company. Oh yeah, and, that could you know, a and and it and and, beca- yeah. and we became very you know we were very, we're extremely active people. So, but we didn't we we had other things to talk about, you know, and that helped. And, and those rules help because w- when you're not. If you're, there's always something to talk about in work, right? There's always a problem. Let's say if it's not one thing, it's another. So your marriage ends up becoming talking about problems, like with your business, instead of talking about joy and great things you're doing and, you know, all this, you know, fun you could have and planning trips, you end up just talking about problems. And that is a problem in itself. Yeah. Especially with my wife, because she has a lot of anxieties. So to, you know, oh yeah, that's stoking her anxieties. With yeah, work. and so like she, as soon as you're unburdening yourself, you're ratcheting her up. You know, and then she ratchets me up. So yeah, you know, it's it comes that back at yeah. you, right? Yeah. So you so got to know your relationships. It's really you, and and having that time where you don't have to talk about work or think about work is probably really nice for you too. 
It is. It's great. It's time away from work. So yeah, exactly. you know, really good stuff, Steve. I, you know, I knew that you and I would be going back and forth. Yeah, I feel a like we, get, I, we didn't even get to the funding part. No, I know <laughs> it is so much. Topic. I know yeah. uh, we probably yeah. can do it if you, you know, do another podcast and this time, you know, I'll shut up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. But, I love uh, the dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it is fun talking to people who have been through the same experiences and the wars and stuff like that and go from there. But um, you know, I, I, just like to very much thank Stephen Hoffman from Founder Space for coming on to today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You know, the, the Entrepreneur MBA podcast, it's, it's a podcast where everybody who's on it has had real life experiences. That's what I wanted, right? And uh, because those are the ones you want to listen to. All right. Um, you have people writing books out there who have no experience and they're just writing books. And but this is real. And, um, you know, so uh, I, you know, thanks, Steve, for coming on. I would also ask that if you liked today's podcast, to please also um, give us a review uh, if, as long as it's five star, because that's what we've always gotten. And that's what I really appreciate. Um, and of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your business, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com. That's FS as in financing solutions, creditline.com. Stephen, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Super easy to find. If you want to get in touch with me, go to founderspace.com founderspace.com. You can contact me on the page. We have lots of videos, lots of educational materials for startups, more of me giving lots of advice. You can also get my book, Surviving a Startup on Amazon or survivingastartup.com. And you can find me on LinkedIn. Just search for Steve Hoffman or Founderspace. Great stuff. And if our listeners are interested in getting any business ideas, I tweet often um, at S. Halasnik, which is my name, S-H-A-L, a-S-N-I-K. And everybody, I really hope you take a lot away from today. I think you will. I think the most important thing we talked about, I, I'm just going to say from my standpoint, is take really good care of yourself. This is going to be a marathon. It's a lot of fun, um, but it is uh, very hard on yourselves. And uh, so just take good care of yourself as you, as you do these things. Everybody have a great day. Um, I think this whole virus thing is starting to get behind us, I hope. That allows Me us to, Yeah. <laughs> we said that a year ago. Uh, but we'll see what happens. All right, everybody. Have a great day. <laughs>